how's everyone doing at 1.48 p.m. Pacific Time this Sunday, December 18th, 2021, no, December 19th, 2021, Whew, it's going so fast, we're going to hear this interview for six minutes and 50 seconds of an interview between, I think his name is Cassidy, in Congress. There was a, a meeting about a month ago posted on YouTube, and the title says, What Percent of CDC Employees are vaccinated. The show notes say at today's Senate Health Committee hearing, Senator Bill Cassidy, Republican of Louisiana, asked CDC Director Rochelle Walensky about her department's vaccination rates. Now, the lady that's talking is not Dr. Walensky. Apparently, she's uh, another doctor or employee of the CDC. Let's listen in. And they're going very fast, so it might be good to do some more research after you listen to this to clarify what they're saying. It's not easy to understand, but it's basically about natural immunity, how long it lasts. How effective is it? And then other questions that the senator had. And then finally he gets on to how many employees are vaccinated at the CDC. And you notice this lady that's answering this question. This question does everything she can to dodge and deflect and not answer. And waste his time, but he's not having any of it. So <laughs> he will get the answers eventually. Here it goes. Um, a couple things. As I walked in, I came in late. One of either you or Dr. Fauci was saying that the reason that we're not saying that natural immunity is protective as is a vaccine, even though there's recent publications showing that six to eight months out, 92% of those with natural immunity have T-cells, B-cells, and antibodies that would be considered adequate to protect. And indeed, B-cell continues to climb. Now, we don't have data. Now, in your response to Mr. Casey, you just mentioned that CDC has access to tens of thousands of EHRs. And I've been told that HHS or CDC has access to patient-identifiable data as to who tests positive. So I do that as a prologue. If we don't know 
that natural immunity confers protection against future infection, it's because we've decided not to look. Because I've learned that there is a cohort of people that we know have been previously infected. We've got the bench research showing that the uh, triad of antibodies, T cells and B cells are there, and that 92% of them are still there at, age, at six months out. So why don't we, why have we not done the research showing that natural immunity confers protection against recurrent infection? Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to clarify this point because I understand, I understand the question. Um, first of all, let me just reiterate that our current stand after reviewing 96 papers and a scientific brief on this issue is that everyone who's been previously infected should be vaccinated. But that's uh, not my question. I agree. So, so, and part of the challenge here is, as you know, the infection-induced immunity and the biases associated with retrospectively looking at the data. Several of those papers that we reviewed for that brief have demonstrated that the kind of disease that you had at the time you had it matters. Um, did you have disease a year and a half ago? Did you have, were you an older Can person? Can I stop you for a second? Were you? We could do this prospectively because you know who is actually, apparently, I'm told you've got patient identifiable data and you would be able to say, okay, six months ago, we're going to start everybody infected within the last six months and be able to follow their EHR prospectively to see this. I mean, theoretically, CDC has the ability to do this right now. Yeah, that too would have its own biases. So one of the things that we have demonstrated in the scientific brief is that asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic people who might not present to their providers, might present to an urgent care clinic who might not be recorded in their own EHR, likely have less robust protection than those who've been severely But that, that could be established prospectively if using the data that you have. And you could even say... If you had symptomatic infection, you don't need to be vaccinated. We would consider you immune. You don't have to be subjected to the mandate. But if, if we had data, if we had data that demonstrated a correlation of protection, Dr. Fauci already mentioned data that they're working on to look at correlates of protection, not just in antibodies, but as you noted, in T cell function as well. So if we were able to document a correlate of protection, we absolutely could but prospectively this, this paper follow. that I'm reading from CD from NIH speaks that there is durable memory of the virus up to eight months after infection in 95% of the people who recovered, including B cells, which continue to climb T cells and antibody. And I'm also saying you could do it clinically because we have data that's patient identifiable that we could go back and look and see if they were exposed. They could be in a hot spot like Louisiana where you know they're being exposed. And then you would see not just by lab data, but empirically. I'm, I can tell you that. Oh, oh, oh. oh, well, but there's no billions and trillions of dollars to be made in natural immunity. And that was Dr. Rochelle Walensky. I misspoke. There was a picture of a lady with white hair. Maybe she speaks later. Let's continue to listen. American people intuitively understand this, and they feel a little bit like we are being willfully blind to it. I have limited time. Let me just ask you something else. What percent of CDC employees are vaccinated? We're actively encouraging vaccination in all of our employees and doing a lot of education and outreach in order to get our agency fully vaccinated. And the, but the percent? I, I don't have that. 
for you today. I'm told that 75, to, um, some north of 75% of CDC employees at headquarters are still working remotely. Is that correct? Um, we are following uh, regulations through HHS and the federal government. No, that's not my question. I apologize to be rude, but, but, but I'm asking a very straightforward question. I've been told that north of 75% of employees at, at, at CDC headquarters are working remotely. Is that correct? Senator, I don't actually know the number off the top of okay, my head. Okay, when you so look I'd down the hallway, are there empty desks? Are over 50% of the desks empty? Senator, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. What I will tell you is that we're working closely within HHS and the administration to follow the governmental rules for return to There was a recent GAO report that shows, and released in the last two weeks, that there's been no coordinated response from the federal government to get people back into work. Now, if there's any agency that, since we're at teachers in Fulton County are back at work, that the caseload of COVID in Fulton County is about 88. At its peak, it was 606. Uh, if what I've been told by someone who, frankly, kind of knows that people in laboratories are not showing up, I have no clue how people, how laboratory workers who presumably are vaccinated wearing PPE would consider themselves eligible to stay at home. Uh, I say this because I just want to echo, we got to lead by example in the federal government. If our public health agencies don't have enough confidence in the immunization and in the PPE to go back to work, fighting infectious diseases, there's going to be a lot of undermining of, an, of a willingness to further fund public health. <laughs> We absolutely have our essential labs back at work conducting their essential research towards this response. And um, we are following the regulations and providing technical assistance and technical support to the federal government for return to work policies. Uh, one more thing. I had, Angus King and I had sent a letter dated February the 25th asking about genomic surveillance. We've still not received a response. You referenced it in your early remarks. Both Senator King and I would appreciate a response. We'll get back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I yield. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go vote. The next four senators I have in my order are Senator Baldwin, Marshall, Rosen, and Murkowski. I will return. Thank you, Madam Chair. So we're here today to discuss the road ahead on the pandemic response. And I fear that that road will be a rocky one if we forget the lessons that we've learned thus far particularly when it comes to our ability to make critical supplies. I am See, that was a, a panel discussion in Congress. And again, that was Senator Cassidy, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, and the director of the CDC Center's or the Prevention Center for Disease Prevention and in Infection, something like that. Prevention. Um, so that was, that was Dr. Rochelle Walensky and Senator Bill Cassidy. And the lady in the white hair was Senator Murray. She was the one speaking at the end that says she's going to vote. Well, that information keeps coming up about natural immunity, but there's no money in natural immunity. And the funny thing is you don't have to worry about 
side effects of disabling vaccine injuries and all of that from natural immunity. Now with the vaccine adverse effects or injuries or death, guess who shielded? Yep, the vaccine makers, the government, everybody that's in that chain, they're all shielded from any liability, any damage that happens to anyone that takes the vaccine. So this is not a game, and I am not anti-vaccine. I wish I had all the answers. I don't. I'm searching. (laughs) So each one of us has to make the decision that's best for ourselves, ourselves and our family, community. Everyone won't be able to take the vaccine. And that's just, that's nothing new. That's the way it's always been. So, okay. See if there's anybody else here that we missed. Do you really not know GOP Senator Presses Walensky? All right, maybe that's the same one. Do you really not know? There's so much thank for you, them Chairman, to know. All four of our witnesses today, thank you for the job you do, and more importantly, would you go back to the host of people that are behind you in this work and thank them on behalf of the committee. Uh, Dr. Walensky, I didn't have this on my list today, but the questions have precipitated it. Um, do you really not know the answer to the number of vaccinated individuals at CDC, or did you just not want to answer Senator Cassidy's question? We're still actively working on collecting those data, and those data are updated um, in real time. Could you provide that for the committee by Monday of next week? Uh, I, we are working towards updating those data, and um, I would have to speak with my staff about where we are and, and whether those numbers are going to be available on Monday. Dr. Walensky, I just remind you that there's an executive order in place for all federal agencies that vaccinations for federal workers be concluded by November 22nd, and it says that actual date is November 8th, which is next Monday, because disciplinary actions have to begin on November the 9th. So if the collection is still in process, how are you going to start uh, disciplinary actions based upon the executive order? We're actively updating those data. I just don't know exactly when they will be um, fully in, but um, certainly we will have those data by the um, appropriate deadlines. Well, if CDC doesn't have to live by the rules, why should employers have to live by the mandate rules? As I mentioned, we will actively um, make sure that we are complying with the rules because we want everybody else to as well. Let me ask one last question because I think what you've heard is a frustration by members about confusing messages that go out. (laughs) It's confusion when somebody has to be vaccinated, though they've got 
natural immunity. It's confusing when this policy is in place for masks and then over here it's changed. And I realize this is an evolving thing. But correct me if I'm wrong. The CDC website currently says that if you have had COVID in the last 90 days and you leave the country and you come back in, you're not required to be tested before you come to the United States. The website says we recommend that within three to five days of returning to the United States, you should have a COVID test. I'll leave on Sunday. I have double vaccination. I have a booster. Next Thursday in London, I'll be required to have a COVID test in London before I can fly back into the United States. The CDC's own website puts more value on natural immunity than they do on two vaccine shots and a booster shot. Um, our guidance is intended, first, first of all, let me just say, I think our guidance is very simple when it comes to vaccination. It has nothing to do with whether you've been infected or not. We recommend everybody in this country be vaccinated with either two doses of a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or a single dose of a Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It couldn't be more simple. Everyone should get vaccinated who is eligible to be vaccinated. Um, with regard to our with our regard to our travel, um, our travel uh, guidance and our travel restrictions are to keep Americans safe, to keep people traveling to the United States safe, um, and to keep our local community safe. Let me repeat what the guidance is that if I leave the country and I've been infected and recovered from COVID in the last 90 days, I can come back in the country without a requirement to be COVID tested before I come in the country. Though I'm recommended once I get in the country to be to have a test within three to five days. If I'm vaccinated and I'm boosted, if I leave the country, I've got to physically be tested outside the United States before I can return to this country. I'm not asking a question. I'm making a point. Senator that is Mann, so confusing. That is so confusing that there's, that there's every reason to believe that the American people can look at this and say, what in the hell are you guys doing? What are you judging this based on? It's not common sense, and it's certainly not science. The, the scientific ground for these tests is that these PCR tests can stay positive up to 12 weeks. And so what we're working to prevent is that people who would have a persistently positive test from prior infection not be confused with people who are newly infected in that country. They, have to, they actually have to prove that they've been a, had a positive test. So we're not looking um, and, and misdiagnosing them as newly infected. Well, it's the science that's informing that policy. Your, your, your stated policy suggests that you put more value on natural immunity. It does. Uh, it does. It's the performance of the diagnostic tests, unfortunately. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Thank you. That will end our hearing today, and I want to thank our panelists, um, uh, Dr. Walensky, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Woodcock, and Assistant Secretary. Oh, well, that's part of the former former uh, hearing in Congress. Who's next? He wants to deny the reality of what he said, what he did. Wait a minute. Yeah, I saw Dr. Fauci's picture and. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Ask a few questions. First of all, can we all acknowledge that there is so much that we do not know 
about the coronavirus, about COVID disease, about the COVID vaccines. Our response to COVID as a result has been in reaction to very imperfect information. So very early in the pandemic, I gave those individuals in a position to have to make very tough decisions with imperfect information, a great deal of latitude in making those tough calls. But over the course of the months, we have learned a lot. We've always been told to follow the science, but it sure seems our healthcare agencies and as I refer to them, the COVID gods, the Dr. Fauci's of the world, the agency heads, the Biden administration, the mainstream media, the social media, it never allowed second opinions. There's been one narrative, and they simply have not been willing to consider alternative measures. So a question I think we should all be asking ourselves is, did our response work? Over 780,000 Americans have lost their lives. The human toll of the economic devastation of the shutdowns, the year of lost learning to our children, the psychological harm to our children, record overdose deaths, increasing suicides. I don't know how you can take a look at America's death rate. The last time I looked, it's a couple weeks old. About 220 per 100,000 population. By the way, Sweden was at 145 per 100,000 a couple weeks ago. I don't see how anybody can take a look at the response imposed in our country by the COVID gods and say it was a success. So acknowledging the fact that there's still so much we don't know, I would appreciate a little modesty on the part of the COVID gods. I would appreciate do we actually follow the advice that I've always heard when dealing with a serious medical condition? Get a second opinion. Get a third opinion. But as I said, that's not allowed. I think it also calls for a little respect for our fellow, for our fellow citizens. These are some tough decisions. They're tough decisions whether or not you want to get vaccinated. Even more gut-wrenching and tough decisions based on these idiotic and pointless vaccine mandates is do I subject to the coercion, to the pressure, to the fear of reprisal, take the jab, or lose my job? These are tough decisions. I'm a big 
I'm a big supporter of Operation Warp Speed. I've had every vaccination until this one because I had COVID. The COVID gods aren't acknowledging natural immunity. They're not acknowledging vaccine injuries. They're not acknowledging the fact that even if you're fully vaccinated, you can still get COVID. You can still transmit COVID. So what's the point of the mandates? And of course, that's not what we're getting from the COVID gods. Now this weekend, something happened that's not unusual. My words were taken completely out of context, twisted, distorted, and I was relentlessly attacked. I'd like to respond to those attacks that uh, were headlined, Fauci calls Ron Johnson's aid comments preposterous. Fauci said, I don't have any clue what he's talking about. Fauci blasts Ron Johnson for saying he overhyped AIDS. Preposterous. Anthony Fauci rips GOP Senator Ron Johnson's preposterous accusations. He's overhyped COVID. Hi there. It's true. Well, there's, there's quite a few people that are making uh, political points and hoping that it's going to pay off in 2022 for the elections and then again in 2024 for the big presidential election. So we'll leave all the grandstanding for someone else. That's a waste of time. And there are um, there are some things we need to know and some that we don't. Okay, here's someone. Patient interview neurological issues after vaccination. A friend of mine, he's a researcher, and uh, just very quick uh, introduction to his bio. He's a 51-year-old research nurse practitioner from New York. Prior to joining the medical profession, he had a background in international development, having served in various capacities over 12 years throughout Eastern Europe and during Balkan War with the Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe. Um, I would request Sean to tell us more about him. Uh, the thing that we want to discuss today, the topic that we have today, is the post-vaccine injury and what are the possible journey that many people are going through. What is the help to seek? What help has been valuable for Sean? What are areas which ended up as dead ends for his help? At the end of the day, this discussion, and my request to you is that please um, respect his privacy. Uh, don't ask too many invasive medical questions about his health. Uh, he has graciously um, agreed to be with us so that more people can be aware of the uh, injuries. I think he is a pro-vaxxer. I am a pro-vaxxer, so it's not about vaccines are good or bad, but drugs, medicines have side effects. 
what are the possible side effects, how to pursue a uh, solution for them. So I don't want to continue too much. I want to uh, welcome Sean. Thank you very much for being here. Tell us a little bit about your yourself and your journey. Sure. Uh, thank you, Dr. Bean, for having me. First, I'd just like to clarify that I'm here as a private citizen. I'm speaking um, personally about my own personal story and experience uh, with the vaccination. I'm not speaking on behalf of any organization or institution. I also want to clarify that I am very pro-science and very pro-vaccine. So the intent today is not to deter anyone from uh, vaccination. It's just to speak about my experience. And as a researcher, I want everybody to know that, you know, reactions are, are, uh, are real. Uh, they're a natural part of science. Um, they're not something we should avoid or uh, deny or dismiss. I think we should in, uh, encompass them into the body of scientific research so that they're studied and understood. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk a little bit about what happened to me um, with each vaccination. Absolutely. So, uh, one, I, I'm interested if uh, the audience can hear about your day-to-day -day work. What is what is the kind of work that you do? And shortly, as much as you want to uh, share. And then, what is your experience with the vaccine? Right. So, my my work as a researcher, I, I have a background as a as a nurse. So, I worked uh, in various capacities as a nurse um, in hospitals on different floors, working in different. Uh, on different um, in different medical areas such as telemetry, pediatrics. So I have a good broad base of foundation in nursing itself and doing the actual job of nursing. Later, I moved to become a nurse practitioner, and one of my passions has always been community health and infectious diseases. So as soon as I graduated, I gravitated to community health and started to work in HIV primary care, and then. Uh, as I progressed in my career, I moved into research and clinical trials on, on various drugs related to HIV and hepatitis C, um, and then later through the pandemic helped work on uh, several therapeutics for COVID. Got it. Thank you very much. And for the cool beans, when you see me looking down here, this is the monitor here. I'm looking at your comments here. I'm looking at Sean here. This is the camera, so please don't be offended when I'm looking away. I better make sure that the environment is very respectable uh, for Sean. So Sean, please don't mind when I'm looking around. Okay. So with this, uh, Sean, tell me, when did you get your first dose? Was it a two-dose vaccine? What happened? It was a two-dose mRNA platform. And my first dose was quite early because I've been the, in the medical profession. So I was in the front runners of people receiving vaccinations. So my first dose was uh, late December, 2020. And I remember going there with like excitement to get, you know, vaccinated, get protection, um, reduce some of that fear and anxiety around COVID. And I had the, in, the first injection in my right deltoid. And I noticed almost immediately, not like around 15 minutes after into the injection, some uh, strange sensations up and down my right arm. And I remember making a comment to the nurse. I said, oh, it's, something feels a little strange. She's like, why don't we have you sit around a little longer, make sure everything is okay. Uh, the, it was kind of like a cool, warm sensation up and down my arm. 
I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's just nothing. I I felt fine. I didn't have any severe type, you know, anaphylactic type reaction. It was mild. So I, I came home. Sensations were still there. I woke up the next day. I still had more sensations up and down my arm. It started to gravitate into my axilla area and my up uh, scapular area. And then I remember probably day three or four, I started to get eye irritation in my right eye and a little bit of cheek tingle, very minimal. But the eye irritation was really strange. And I thought I had like something stuck in my eye. And I didn't immediately associate it with the vaccine because it seems so unusual. It's not like something you would think of as a typical reaction. So I remember seeking two uh, consults with eye doctors because I kept insisting there was something wrong with my eye. They said, no, no, no. They you know, stained it. Everything looked good. There was nothing in there, no infection. Then I think my day six, I had a flushed ear, bright red. And that lasted about three days and, uh, and then disappeared. I consulted with a neurologist because the paresthesias, the numbness, tingling stuff was still kind of going on. And I had this almost like a sensation, like I was sweating in my armpit, but every time I would go to touch there, there was, it was dry. They did an EMG. It was normal. Everything after around 10, 11, day 10, 11, just subsided. And I felt good. So, you know, we didn't know much. We didn't understand much at that time. It was, they were just, you know, rolling out. So I thought, well, I should get the second dose. And the second dose uh, in mid-January or late, towards late January. And initially I had three days of, uh, just typical, I had it in the left deltoid this time. And I remember I had three days of just general, your usual injection site pain, but the pain kind of radi radiated up my neck and into my back. It was pretty significant pain, but I thought, oh, it's just from the injection. It's, it'll go away. By day four, I started to hear faint chimes sounds in my right ear. And the tingling returned, some of the right eye irritation returned. So even though I got the injection on the left, the flare of things started on the right again. So, Sean, I have a question here. My apologies for the introduction. Did you have any previous medical history, for example? Yes, no, I should. So, so I'm a 51-year-old healthy male. I had no medical history significant. I have no chronic medical conditions, no autoimmune diseases. I've never had a vaccine reaction before. I've taken every vaccine known, all my boosters, no reactions, no history of hearing problems or tinnitus or neuropathy, no, no diabetes, nothing. I was not on any medications or supplements at the time. I don't drink and I don't smoke. And I don't do, do any other uh, of the other <laughs> substances. Yes. So, so fairly healthy and, you know, so normal. So happening in these uh, first days, week, um, was there anyone, medical doctor, uh, your own doctors, or 
to folks who may be around you, was there anyone who was able to provide any help, any guidance? How was your... No, I think, so the first, I, I after the second dose, I reconsulted with neurology and, you know, they were like, well, you know, if it subsided last time, maybe it will subside this time. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And again, you know, one of the problems is that people, these are uh, relatively new. So I think the medical community doesn't, we don't have the experience with them, right? So we don't, it's not like a measles, mumps, rubella shot we've been giving for 20 years. We know all of the ranges of reactions that have, you know, in the, in the years they've been given. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of unknowns. So I think it's, you know, it's not, it's, you, you can't blame anyone for not knowing, right, when something is new. And we're all just doing our best with what we know. And I think that was kind of the issue in the beginning. And the people who received uh, vaccinations early on, you faced uh, a medical community that was just kind of discovering how these are playing out in the larger populace. Got it. So, so with the second dose, now you have more symptoms. Uh, doctor said maybe just like the first one, these would go away. Yeah. What happened? Uh, did they continue? So they can. Yeah. So they continued. The tinnitus kind of started to escalate to a, a, a severity that was profound. I'm talking like a ten out of ten, where you're you know, literally on the bathroom floor and you're crying because you cannot believe what has happened to you. And you thought this is not something you could live with. I'll be quite honest. It was pretty profound. So that, that set me on a desperate search as a nurse. Like I, you know, I'm trained. I want answers right away. I want to know what, what's wrong. What, what should I do? So I did a lot of consults. I did a I think I consulted with four ENTs and at that time, a lot of them were like, you know, could this be, or could it not be Is it coincidence? And, uh, you know, I'm like, uh, as a researcher, I'm like, I'm 1000% sure this is not coincidence. Like the timing was just, you know, too perfect. My history was, medical history was not, you know, non-existent. And so, uh, you know, temporally it was just, you could not deny the association in my mind, uh, you know, and, and given all the same, the, the other thing that really sealed it was that, you know, the second dose in the other arm spiked paresthesias that I experienced on the first dose in the right arm. So to, you know, deny causality there, it's a little tricky, my, so, my opinion. <laughs> so the second dose was in the other arm, and the yes. other arm experienced the same? Um... No, so the, so the first dose was in the right, yeah. where I had the paresthesia. second dose in the left, but flared the paresthesias initially on the right, and the tinnitus on the right. Wow, so very interesting. So seems like something was primed somewhere and then the second dose you know let it let it loose mm -hmm. so again 
suspect my suspicion you know but i can't say what happened on a cellular level we just don't know i wish we did but yeah. we're not there yet so then uh trying to solve this did you start taking some medicine some protocols so my initial instinct was steroids um you know they're always the go-to when you want to tamp down some kind of immune or inflammatory response but a lot of people were reluctant to use them because they were afraid it would also alter your immunity response immune response right, correct. so i was kind of delayed in that and i look back in hindsight and i think there is some good research data now that shows in this kind of vaccine induced uh tinnitus or i should say sus suspected for you know uh not, nothing is proven but there is some research that shows that some people who've had vaccine-induced tinnitus respond well if treated early with a higher dose of steroid. And, you know, I didn't go that route, unfortunately, at the time. So that's your neurologist and think that it still is an inflammatory situation or, I mean, steroids should still help if there is inflammation. Uh, normally their help starts reducing when either it is not an inflammation inflammation related thing or some injury is becoming more permanent and then giving steroid cannot reverse that injury correct what is, there may be other reasons what did your neurologist say what is the current situation so the, the neurologist i'm seeing now well i should let me just step back if i could and just clarify what happened further so by by the end of January, the symptomatology became so severe that I developed a, like wild swings in blood pressure and tachycardia and abdominal pain. And I actually ended up in the emergency department in uh, Pennsylvania, where my family is living. And I even said to the ER doc, I'm like, look, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner. I kind of, I work in research. I, I, I suspect I'm having a reaction. I was having the tinnitus really bad, the tachycardia, my blood pressure was like 180 over 120. I had a bad headache, stomach pain. He was suspicious of it. He's like, we haven't seen this type of reaction before. They ran me through a CAT scan, found some mesenteric inflammation said, oh, you probably have a viral syndrome and sent me home with ibuprofen. I was not happy, but that's, that's what happened at that time. And obviously the ibuprofen did nothing for me. So um, you yourself are a researcher. You have been interacting with doctors, trying to figure out what it is. It is pretty serious. It is not that you were just ignoring it. No. What did you think of the preparation of the medical field, the preparation of the vaccine-related um, injuries and approach mm -hmm. to them in general? Did you were you actually finding people who had any traction, or everyone was just trying to figure it? I out? think everyone was kind of fumbling around, and I think that was just the nature of being in the middle of a pandemic. Right? We have to be realistic. We're in a crisis. We're trying to end that crisis. We're rolling out what we think is an important tool to end that crisis. And I think there's, you know, you, you probably can never get it right, but I think what was missing was some education um, 
or at least a support system in place where at least ER doctors could call in to some kind of center, you know, either with the manufacturers or with, uh, you know, a government in, a government body and, and consult on what they're seeing, right? Um, I think that wasn't and still isn't in, in place, really. So people are still fumbling with, like, how to deal with reactions. And I, uh, on this point, I actually made a comment a few days ago. There was a proving question, and I was saying, the vaccine companies, all of them, and FDA, CDC, our healthcare leadership organizations, they should have come together and said, here is a pool, it's a fund. I mean, there's a lot of money going into vaccines and their purchases and their building. And right. we are paying, the taxpayers are paying eventually. Right. So if a pool can be made, and from that pool, studies and help and educational material and consultations could be given, I think there right. is an important need for that, instead of individuals trying to figure it out on their own. I, I would... I agree. I think it's an that would that would have been prudent, and you know, a wise, especially when you're rolling out something, uh, a new platform uh, for a vaccine, and there are you know a lot of unknowns uh, in the general population. What we knew was from the clinic. What we know is from the clinical trials, right? But that when you put something out in the general population, like with any drug, anything can happen, right? And the goal is not to. To deter people or to make people fearful, I mean, you could take somebody could take Tylenol and get a reaction, or aspirin and get a reaction, right? These are all things have reactions. But you know, I think you to to deny them or not uh, address them is you know not scientific. You're you're just you know it's not it's not realistic to say everything is one hundred percent. Either way, right? And then you leave a pool of people that are unlucky, like myself, and you know, we may not be large large numbers, but we exist. And to not help us is a disservice, I think, a grave disservice. Because I I still struggle to to understand what happened um, and what course of treatment I should be seeking. Absolutely correct, and. Um... This is the, I think this is another tragedy of this uh, pandemic, that there was a good thing and that is that we all jumped in, medical professionals or not medical professionals, we all jumped in to try to figure out what is happening, what is the virus, how do we fix it, what are vaccines, mm -hmm. what are other drugs, and one of the outcome of that is that there are folks who are not medically, uh, who are not medical professionals or medically educated, right. And they are trying to help as well. And what I'm seeing is that sometimes intense may be good. Sometimes that direction becomes bad. For example, I'll give you my example. Um, from last year, when I started talking about vaccines and said when the vaccines would come in, I don't take a vaccine. And then when the vaccine started and the clotting started occurring and the pericarditis started occurring, I started talking about clotting. And the very first reaction from the audience members was, some of the audience members was, shut up, don't talk about it, what are you doing? And right. I thought that that platform 
where we could look at everything together because the whole right. world is stuck in it is important so we can see what is the good, what is the bad, and how do we take care of it. Uh, right. But I, I, I digress. I'm still going through these uh, uh, right. kind of reactions. Well, the science, the scientific world should remain in the hands of scientists, right? And we should not fear, uh, you know, the data, Absolutely. good, bad, or indifferent. It's and that, that is what helped us drive. So I think yeah. that there is a, I still believe, I have been protesting this for a long time, that they, we should become aware of what are the side effects. Then we should right. try to figure out what we can control after that we may say here is a vaccine or here is another drug molnupiravir is out or some other drug is out mm -hmm. and they may have side, side right. effects we should say here is a drug right here are the possible side effects here are the things that are under our control here are the things that we cannot control them here is a cohort that should not take them here is a cohort that should take them we should have such keen observation and data collection and analysis being done every day Anyways, uh, that's right. <laughs> so you tried steroids. What other things have you tried? Anti-inflammatories. You tried ibuprofen. Didn't work. Statins. What, right. what? So eventually, early on, I did do a short. I did do like the you know one ENT did say, well, try a Medrol dose pack. But I was probably already past the fourth week part, and you know that's a Medrol dose pack is not a very strong steroid, but I did do that, and it did tamp down the inflammation in my abdomen uh, and got that under control. Later, I did just my own search uh, just because I couldn't find a, a medical practitioner because they don't exist experienced in vaccine reactions. You know, they're not they're not on every street corner, but being fortunate, being in medicine, I tried to direct my own research and my own care for all of its successes and failures I've had over the past 11 months. But I started to set up groups online because I thought, oh, at that time I was, I thought it was just me and I wanted to find other people to see if more to find support and validation to see if I'm not alone, that this is, I'm just an oddity. And so I set up a, ten, a tinnitus support group uh, online and we have over 3000 members now. And uh, I do a lot of, we do a lot of support and research activities in there, uh, which is very important because tinnitus is a, can be a very debilitating uh, illness for people. So support is everything. So through there, we, you know, people have it, we share what we try, what works, doesn't work for different things, different theories. Um, I went on a, a different diets. I tried like low, you know, low histamine, MCAS type, type diets, which I thought actually was helping my tinnitus in the early uh, stages. So, uh, but then it didn't really continue. Right. So I really thought, oh, mast cell. And I did, uh, I see somebody's raising a question about mast cell, but I did do a lot of lab work. I probably had a multi-million dollar lab work that I pushed for uh, in my quest. And I did do a lot of MCAS workup. And in my case, 
even the more specific urine studies, they always came out normal. But I did find anecdotal evidence that an, a low histamine kind of MCAS diet was helping. But unfortunately, things progressed, and I got uh, beyond the tachycardia, which continued. That evolved into full-blown autonomic dysfunction by March and April, where I had severe intractable insomnia. I had uh, uh, tachycardia episodes that would just come on and go for hours. Then I evolved to positional tachycardia. And I'm a straight bradycardic 50-55 person my whole life. Now suddenly I'm sitting 55 standing going to 150-160 feeling like I'm going to pass out and I get nauseous. And uh, so, uh, you know, and nothing was really working. I had, uh, for the insomnia, I went on like several sleep medications and I had never had problems with sleep before, but it was almost like my parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems would just not work. Like every time my body wanted to go into calm, it would just trigger me. And I would get like pour of adrenal dumps through my body that I could literally feel the chemical coursing through burning my stomach and muscles. And this was by like June, July. So things kept going. And I kept seeing doctors and telling them and cardiologists. And some people would be like, is this real? It's a lot of subjective stuff here. And, you know, doctors generally don't deal well with subjective symptoms. <laughs> they like the objective, right? And if your lab's coming back normal, you're reporting subjective things. They tend to want to throw you in the basket of like anxiety or functional neuro disorders or, or things. But I knew, and that wasn't my case. And so I had to push for objective. And I did. And so I got a, uh, I did, you know, the autonomic testing, which showed I had positional tachycardia. And I did, uh, eventually, things progressed in August, where I, I woke up one night with full-blown neuropathies all over, generalized my body, stinging in my hands and feet, burning sensations all over. And uh, again, I went to the ED, I went to my doctors, they like, we don't know. Uh, let's check rheumatological. Let's check more autoimmune. Everything normal. I did. I said, well, my neurologist by July was suspecting pseudomotor small fiber. Uh, she was the first one who was really engaged and curious. And she said, I think this is what's going on, what's causing it and driving it. We don't know. But I said, well, what's the definitive test for that? And she said, well, usually a skin biopsy. So I thought, oh, I have to, I have to do that. I need to know. So I made, I arranged to have that done, and that did come back showing uh, signs of small fiber neuropathy developing. So there, I had some. I, by August, I had some objective data of like mm -hmm. things that had gone wrong uh, over the course and what was driving this autonomic dysfunction and now the new onset neuropathies that I'm dealing with. So were they able to then start pinpointing that this is a 
cytokine storms or not storm but continuous cytokine release from the cell so that we don't know because like i have done cytokine panels i had some elevations um you know i i think nobody just really knows right now what is the primary driver there's a lot of theories right i mean we i think some are known we have our you know these not the non-classical monocyte theories hanging out. Um, you know, there's some people who think it's, you know, related to the T follicular helper cell and how that is used to create the immunity. There's some theories that it could be C4D deposition at the blood nerve barrier that was triggered, like the dysfunction was triggered. So we don't know, it could, I've heard, you know, MCAS components, I've heard glutamine storms. So there's a lot of unknowns. I'm very sorry that you are going through this. Um, my sincere, sincere uh, gratitude that you are here, you're discussing it. And I, I wish this all becomes resolved soon. Uh, if it is so far, I've seen many, many long haulers that have been uh, recovering even after a year or so. So um, prayers and good wishes and anything we can do, me and Cool Beans, you yourself are a Cool Bean. If we can all together do something, please, please. Yeah, I think your audience is quite, you know, you have a quite intellectual following. So one of my goals coming on here is, you know, one is not to deter anyone from vaccination. That's not my goal. Two is to raise awareness that, you know, reactions happen and those who have them need help. And I think three is to get your beans thinking caps on and help join our effort to kind of understand what's going on. Because um, we're desperate for answers and healing and I feel like every day that goes by I slip more towards the chronic and I, I don't and I don't want that because what what I'm feeling I may look healthy still but I can assure you when I sit here my ears are hissing and my feet are burning and my face is the nerve is uh, taut it's like uh, damaged so I have a lot going on, and it's not fun. I can understand this. Uh, cool means I was talking with Sean before the discussion, the live discussion, and I was saying that because of my drawings and the work that I've been doing for the last 18 months, I have some numbness here, but this arm a few weeks ago had developed severe freaking feelings, and that is the, the sign of nerve compression over here. And I was mm -hmm. just too stressed out and I was leaning incorrectly and so on. And I cannot imagine that just that little thing in my fingers bothered me so mm -hmm. much that I thought, what the heck? And yeah. here we have someone whole body. Yeah. I get burn sensations down my chest. Feet feel sometimes like little toothbrushes, electric toothbrushes on low vibration, little prickling sensations everywhere, burning. Very sorry for that. I you feel are... nerve dysfunction in my 
hands when I stretch them. And I don't know why. That's the puzzle. I'm working. I research myself all day long. I read all the journals. I try to connect dots, but I'm not an immunologist. So I'm... Uh... We're out of time. Thank you for listening. Uh, we need help. We okay. need some researchers on board. So in the community, if there are folks who have experience with this or who would like to contribute in research, please do that. Sean, use me as a resource as well. Um, yes. and I'm very transparent about my health and my data. So uh, in the quest to help others, because I know I'm not alone, and I know there's a lot of people who don't have the fortunate opportunity to, to one, be in healthcare and two, have insurance. So whatever I learn, I share uh, with the intent of helping others out there that have the similar um, afflictions. So, you know. Got it. Thank you very much. This is very generous of you. I mean, just opening up your own situation and mm -hmm. then uh, hoping that others can be helped as well. So thank you. If you are okay, can I ask some questions here as well? I know it is 40 minutes. I know you are on the East Coast, so it is late on your side. Just another five, 10 minutes of questions, if that is okay. Sure, sure. I'm happy to to help. I, I, it's important that raise awareness. Thank you, thank you. So there is a question Ashley says, how do we treat microclots? <laughs> so what is your experience? I mean, it may or may not be microclots, right. but has there been any clotting related therapeutics as well tried or, or, you know, thought so, some of the, uh, that's a good question. I don't, and I, I don't even know how you Unless you do biopsies, I think, how do you really determine microclotting? Like, unless you do, uh, you know, small vessel, it's very hard to, to determine, one. Two is, I think, you know, I have tried things like low-dose aspirin, um, natokinase uh, supplement to, to, to see if that would help. I haven't seen much benefit from that. Um, I've also done some other along the way natural naturopathic things. So I have done a procedure of um, what's called, I think, EBO2, uh, where they take your blood out, filter it, mix with ozonated oxygen. And I have seen, felt some relief from that, in fact, for a few days. So I didn't know if it was anecdotal. I can't say everyone should rush to do something like that, but I... You know, again, in my quest for answers, I'm willing to experiment to see what works and what doesn't. But I don't know if there was the driver there of like they actually filter you and maybe drag out some things or if it's putting extra oxygen in there that's pushing oxygen into your capillaries. And so Got it. don't know. Microclots is a tough one. I don't know the answer. Got it. Papitoon says, has Sean spoken with Dr. Yuo and Bruce Peterson? Yes, I have. I have done their labs. 
I would like to dig further with them and collaborate more. I think, um, you know, they've got, they're doing such uh, important work, right? They really have brought long-haul COVID to another level. And they're also now working with the vaccine, with the vaccine uh, issues. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot more I could, work learn from them and work with them but i have reached out to them and i have done their labs and we have talked about different treatments got it um so i remember that you had talked about trying to walk some in at some point as well how was that um, how did I you did, get to that right so i did flu voxamine i think somewhere in march or april if I remember, I have a timeline somewhere. I track of all the things I've tried and the different uh, reactions. So fluvoxamine, I started low dose. I'm not keen on SSRIs for myself personally because of my own personal reactions. Not That should not deter anyone else from, from that. But uh, I did try it, and I did start low, and then I increased slightly. But I found that it actually spiked my tinnitus. Uh, and so I, I stuck with it for about three, four weeks, uh, three and a half weeks, I think, if I remember. And then I kind of dropped it. Um, I don't know if others had had other experiences and if they've tried higher doses, maybe that would have worked, would work. Patty Zick says, did they aspirate when you were injected with the vaccine? Could they have accidentally injected into a vein or to recover very soon? So sorry this happened to you. Thank you. So that is another area of interest that in my my anecdotal gathering of data, I do ask people. So in my first injection, I did have a weird injection. I have to say when they entered me, I thought they weren't in the right spot. As a nurse, I think you know nurses know how to inject best. And I didn't have a nurse for my injection. And I, I don't know, I felt a... I had a twitch of my arm on injection. I didn't make anything of that because if you just, you know, nick the skin, you could trigger something like that in people. I've seen it before. But I did ask a lot of people if they had an unusual injection. And not everyone, but I have quite a few, it's anecdotal evidence, but they do say they've had like either a bloodier injection or they saw blood or the Band-Aid was more bloody so who knows right it's a it's possibility when it is possible i'm just conjecturing here i don't have a proof it is possible that injection instead of the vein actually hit the nerve and that's that is also the neurological tra- traversal yes. that thing to axilla to this area then to the facial nerve correct is, again i'm totally um conjecturing Right. I don't have a mechanism. I have that. I've had that speculation from the start. I thought, did they hit a nerve, and then somehow it hijacked my nervous system? I, think it is I don't a, know. The nerve over here, which is near the uh, hu- neck of the humerus, so if they are high up here, it is possible. Uh, again, it's a very tiny nerve, but it is there. Correct. Uh, so Ashley says, "Have you no uh, dose?" Naltrexone, and then uh, I want to. That's a good one. (laughs) I want to make sure we are not sitting here giving medical advice. You yourself are a healthcare professional. This is just 
we have various things in our mind as well that God forbid if somebody has long COVID, here are the solutions possible. So we are just in that yeah. in that spirit of having that discussion. Correct. This is my personal story, not recommendations to anyone to do or anything. Low dose naltrexone. I am I'm, I'm trialing that now. In fact. Uh, on the recommendation of a good rheumatologist, and I find that it's um, it's 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 helpful. And it's, a, it's a good glial cell modulator, and I think that it helped my uh, tinnitus a bit. Very good. Good to know. At least there is something that um, is moving in the right direction. Uh, one God, Jesus name says. How can people find and join your support group? So uh, the support groups are online. I don't really market or advertise them. I think people just sort of find them. And uh, we only usually let people in that are uh, have an affliction because we're very cautious. We are not an anti-vax group. We are not... Uh, an anti-booster or mandate. We're not anti-anything. We're really just a cohort of people with the same affliction uh, trying to help each other. So I think if you just search your social medias looking for whatever affliction you might have, you'll probably stumble upon one of the groups, I think. Uh, you know. Thank you very much. Um, Denise TG says, many of us with these multisystemic symptoms post-COVID vax end up having genetic connective tissue disorders of elder Delnor syndrome that seems to predispose us. Could this be a possibility for you? This is a connective tissue disorder of the autism. Yeah, I don't think I have any, I don't didn't have any signs and symptoms of EDS in my life. And I know that's genetic. And usually you do exhibit something along the way if you had a genetic predisposition. It doesn't stay insidious. As far as I know, I'm not an EDS expert, but I did look at my genetic profiles and I don't really, I don't think I have any of those mutations that lead me in that direction. But I'm not sure, I'm not an expert on that. So Got I can't it. speak. Got it, thank you very much. Um, so someone is, challenging you. And Cheryl, once again, look, he himself, Sean himself is going through this. There is no need for Sean or for me or anyone to try to minimize something. I think this, Sean is actually here telling his own story to raise awareness, to make more people aware that there needs to be help in this area. I think the only care he's taking is that this is not an anti-vax rhetoric here, but to say vaccine-related injuries can occur, and we should look into that and help. Right. So Cheryl is saying... And I can't, yeah, I think I can't speculate on the numbers. I don't know the numbers. I don't know if do we, I don't know, how should I phrase this without getting anyone upset? I don't know if we track the numbers of, uh, of, of effects thoroughly. Um, maybe we do. I don't know. But I know in my own personal case, in my own personal case, no, no doctor has actually logged my symptoms. I had to log my own. 
and I thought I found that a little bit disturbing. I don't know if they're just very busy or they knew I was a nurse and I would just log it myself. So that could be the case. But um, so I don't know, you know, I think we're out there. We're we don't know the numbers, but we we exist and there are other people like me. Got it. So, Sean, thank you very much for your time. I think these are majority of the question. Here is just one more question, and then I think we can wrap up. This is an important question. Um, the question is from uh, Queen City Dom. Has Sean tried monoclonal antibodies or IBIG? Yeah. So I'm currently trialing IBIG right now. I did didn't do well with the first dose. Uh, I was for some reason increasing my tinnitus which I thought was strange. So I couldn't get through the full four day course. The second dose, I do it every four weeks right now. The second course I just finished, I did it with steroids, which helped, but it made me flare uh, for some reason. And it increased my uh, bilirubin, which put me in the emergency department yesterday. Not great. So I don't know if I will be able to continue with that course of treatment. We're, I'm discussing that now. And Sean, uh, so sorry for what happened yesterday. We can actually see your eyes even now that there is a yellowish tint there. So thank you that you actually were in the emergency yesterday and today you are speaking with us. Thank you for being so gracious and so kind. Yeah. No, that's just the importance of this for me is, is to be here to, you know, to discuss this with people. Thank you. Last question, and then I would request you to take rest and thank you for your time. Jody says, did you check your thymus? Have you had chickenpox or chickenpox wax? Any other, anyone offer colchicin feel better? That's a lot. That's, that's multiple, multiple questions in one. <laughs> that's yeah. Very clever way to ask a question. I like that. I do that too. Um, I haven't checked my thymus. I have had chicken pox naturally as a child. I have not tried colchicin. And I thank you for wishing me to feel better. So, Sean, once again, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for your time. I feel, I pray, and I, I'm sure that everyone who is uh, listening, watching, viewing, they will pray as well that you... Um, recover soon and fully, and this is behind you. And as you are navigating this, hopefully we would learn something as well for what works, and maybe that could be useful for someone else yeah. as well. Thank you okay. very much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you, thank you. We are grateful that you are here, you're giving us time. So Cool Beans, thank you very much. I'm going to hang up now and maybe in another 5-10 minutes we'll do a quick chit chat as well. I want to actually keep this video up instead of adding one more video on top of it. So how about we just leave the chit chat for today and meet again on Monday and thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. I need these gift cards to get rid of a computer. Well, that was heart-wrenching. I could barely keep from crying listening to to his experience we wish him well okay the next one is neuro
disease after vaccine with Nick. Thank you for coming on. I know Dr. you've had a busy John time with, uh, with the family recently. And, uh, I, I think one of them's back to school now, as you say. You've got a bit more, got a bit more time. Yes, he's back to school. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so thanks for coming on, Nick. I know, I know that it's always hard to share personal experiences like this, but but you, you feel this is appropriate because other people need to hear this. So, we're talking about your vaccination history, basically, aren't we? And, uh -huh. and, and how you're feeling from that. So, time wise, timeline wise, you had an AstraZeneca injection in in February, didn't you? Yes, I was um, in group four because I have a low immunity. Um, but felt fine, was doing fine, um, really well. Um, walked to my appointment at the local surgery to have my vaccination. And um, the doc it was actually just by coincidence my own GP that performed the vaccination. And um, I sat down and he just ran through his, how do you feel? And I said, really well. And um, he put the needle in and I feel like I instantly said it. I mean, my circulation would have been going nice and brisk because of my walk and I hadn't waited long. The appointments were running to time. So it felt instantly. I said, oh, I've got a strong chemical taste in my mouth. And um, he just made a sort of non-committal sound. And, um, and then I said to him, oh, I feel a bit sick. And he said, oh, you'd better go and um, sit outside where they weren't keeping people outside. They'd stopped at that point, you know, the sort of standard wait for 15 minutes. They were sending you home unless there was a problem. But so I sat outside and um, I, I did the usual thing, got my mobile phone out and thought I'll start, you know, replying to messages that I haven't got back to people. And I just felt overwhelmingly sick and rushed to the surgery toilet and vomited um, and then a nurse took me back in to see the doctor and I said to him, I can feel shivers running up and down my body. And it was just like a, a bam, bam, bam of symptoms that you could argue were unrelated. You know, the shivering and then and the nausea and then believe it or not, I coughed for a bit. I mean, it was it was just like a checklist of some of the COVID symptoms or, or even some of the COVID symptoms we now know. Um, and then my nose ran, you know, just watery running instantly. But the coughing and the nose running, which they now talk about all the time as being classic COVID symptoms. I'd be surprised if they even lasted a minute or so each. It was that fast, but it was it was so quick going through my body. And I can't honestly say at what point my head started to ache, but I'm, I had a headache when I was leaving. Um, and they just said, oh, well, you better go home and um, take some paracetamol and rest. And because I think their main concern was, was my airway blocked? Um, I didn't feel any swelling of either my lips or my tongue, you know, or my throat. So... I couldn't say I felt like that, but I felt dreadful. And um, I had to get a friend to give me a lift home. And um, my son was visibly shocked when he saw me because he'd seen me skip off to go and get it. I mean, and I really had, you know, we're, we're walkers and mm. I keep fit. Mm. Um, and I don't know 
I don't really remember much about how I felt that the rest of that day, apart from I know I felt dreadful. But I do know that by 8pm, which is far too early for my son to go to bed, I said to him, come on, let's get you all sorted. And do you mind going to bed early so I can switch everything off and, you know, lock up? And um, because I said, I don't think I can stay upright functioning for much longer. And by that point, I was shivering a lot. Um, I didn't have much of a temperature at all. It was just only ever so slightly raised. And I just remember going to bed at about 8pm and just curling up in a ball and just shaking so violently and my teeth chattering so wildly that I, and just like, bam, 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 like that for a long, long, long time, almost convulsing, you know, that I was, but it wasn't convulsions. I've seen someone have convulsions and it wasn't that, but it, that I just thought I'm going to crack my teeth with, with how violently they're banging together for a long long time I lay like that in bed until I just I just fell asleep so perhaps for an hour or so I was shivering like that with my teeth and I genuinely think I exhausted myself with it you know and I just fell into a deep sleep and I don't even remember waking up during the night even though it was an early bedtime um but the next morning when I got up I don't know the the exact order of what there was a lot going on which makes it really hard to relay there was an awful lot going on I had a strong pain in my kidneys um which which from that point lasted about um three or four days of lot drinking lots and lots of water you know because I'm aware that that's something you can do for your kidneys um I, I felt incredibly dehydrated um now, I know you, you will probably say if you have a fever, you want to drink plenty so you don't get dehydrated. But with low immunity, I've had many, many upper respiratory illnesses, you know, just regular illnesses, lots of colds, maybe with a bit of a temperature as well and whatever. Um, and I'm used to managing myself and I'm used to um, always drinking lots of water and being well hydrated as, as an absolute, you know, um, foundation of getting past any illness where you, especially if you've got a slight fever. So what I'm saying is it was different. The level of dif dehydration was absolutely profound. And I looked in the mirror and I felt that even my face looked more wizened, you know, and it's gone back to, to what I think is my, how my face normally looks. And, um, my eyes were so dry, they were scratchy, you know, they, they just, I just was so dehydrated. So something about the process had really dehydrated me without me sweating because I hadn't been sweating. Um, and I don't believe I was sweating through that sleep because, you know, my nightwear wasn't wet or, you know, like I've had the odd fever where your top's just drenched, isn't it? You know, you know. So it wasn't like that. It was just something, and I don't know, internally that had massively dehydrated me. Um, and um, when I got up, um, I just felt that I was in like a hamster wheel, and I felt that the world was tumbling over around me, um, and I immediately fell on my bedroom floor and then got myself up again and 
felt I had to hold on to everything, you know, and I didn't, I just felt like I was really quite drunk, but not that I was just drunk, but also that when you're drunk, you're, it, it, it's in you, but I also felt I was in an environment that was moving as well, so just like a ship, because we've been on a ship, you know, and I know what that feels like when you're in a storm and the floor goes away from under you. Um, yeah, so it was like that. Pretty horrible. You, you, you see, that sounds like you're describing a vestibulitis in the, the middle ear, the inner ear problem that can, uh, um, that can make you feel dizzy. Maybe, but I've had labyrinthitis, mm, right. um, which will make you fall off a chair and mm, things, mm, and mm. it's very localised, isn't it? You're, but this... Yeah, it felt like the whole world was... Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's, I don't know, but it's localised to your, everything in my head felt confused um, in terms of perception, mm. you know, in terms of where things were and my ability to do things. And for example, first couple of weeks, I didn't drive at all because I didn't have control of my feet. So I guessed it would be quite unsafe to drive. Nobody told me not to, you know, but I, I, I didn't have proper function of um, particularly... My um, injection was in my left arm because I'm right-handed and it was my right-hand side that was the weakest um, in terms of um, losing motor function, which I, I can't explain that. And and tell me, John, am I right? Are your kidneys on your right? Uh, they're, 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 on, they're on both sides. They're on the both sides, okay. The lower yeah. back wall, I would so, say... So, my... so kind, of, kind of up the back there, kind of yeah, in there, yeah, yeah. Well, on both sides. And I have had kidney pain in the past um, with some hospital treatment that was intravenous. So, mm. um, so I'm familiar of the kind of region. But in that case, then if they're on both sides, it would definitely be more the right-hand side because I specifically remember the pain because it was so... It, if you have a few days of one localised pain, you you just sort of remember it, don't you? Um, oh, yeah. it, it was quite specific. It's a deeply yeah. horrible, horrible experience. It was. Um, and this went on for two weeks, or what happened after the two weeks, Nick? Well, it has gone on until now. It is still going on. But it's all it's done is, I would say, um, I have... Life has been so hard to just keep up with because yeah. of because of the physical battles and also because of the time spent trying to research to help myself sure. um, as well as all the normal things in life. So um, I haven't looked back until today, funnily enough, at any of my notes that I wrote. I had this strong sense, even though I'm a person who's never kept a diary in their life, yeah. I was so terrified, yeah. I, th I, kept, I kept a diary, yeah. and um, so, um, and look, you know, a lot of it is I can't write my hand, you know, I can't control my hands and things like that, um, but I can't give you an exact time, but I would say, so it was February, mm. well, I had to have an operation at the end of April, and I didn't know that was a sort of deadline that I had to get myself. Mm. This was just personal because um, I wasn't being told this by anyone, but I thought I have to get myself feeling normal enough mm. to feel safe mm. to have major surgery. Mm. Um, and um, 
it was, yeah, that was 10 weeks after the first injection. So I would say I was just about feeling that I was strong enough in myself. Um, I still trip over my right foot and I still have a lot of weakness in my right um, thumb in particular. But in the beginning, I couldn't move my right big toe. I couldn't, I had no, I was looking, I couldn't make it move at all. Whereas now I can give it a little wiggle. Um, and bear in mind, I had full function of everything. And well, I you were more than that. You were, you were fairly athletically fit before this, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd say athletically, but certainly, certain. I, I'm 50, and for my age, I'm, I'm a fit 50, you know? Mm. I am um, just because, yeah, I try to keep, because of my low immunity, I try to keep myself as well in every other way as I can. And, um, yeah. So, so yeah, at, I, at, at the time, did, did the GP take your blood pressure and your heart rate and your temperature and your respiratory nothing. rate? They didn't absolutely do basic nothing. observations? They, they didn't want to see me. Um, they, they, they didn't want, no, no. I don't know, um, I, I wondered if I could read you something, Please. an email I wrote. Um, I'll try and let me find it. Um, So there's a website I want to give you. Yeah, this is it. Okay. Um, have you? Are you aware of this website, c19vaxreactions.com? I've heard of it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't I'm not over familiar with it. We'll, we'll put so a link on it, of course. There was. Yeah, thank you. There's a U.S. senator who I was watching him talk on YouTube. Very moving speech. And he was talking on behalf of people in his community who had approached him, I imagine by a sort of MP-type surgery, you know, who'd approached him and said that they had had adverse events to whichever vaccine for COVID and, um, and they'd been left in whatever state of ill health and yet they were finding that no clinicians, you know, no medical... Um, uh, settings were sort of welcoming them or wanting to help or interested at all. So um, I don't know exactly what happened to the wife of, um, I think it might be neurological actually because of the note I've written myself here after watching the YouTube video. I watched it in early September. Um, but um, they started a private social media group and wrote to the White House and media drug companies they got no response, felt ghosted, frustration with not being heard. Um, and I know the husband started the website, c19vaxreactions.com. Um, and I think they've got, I don't know, they had a lot of people approach them just to tell their stories. Um, and I was in such a desperate situation that I... Um, was doing anything, anything at all, to try and get someone to help me. Um, so your GP didn't send you to a consultant? So no. they, they, they didn't do the basic observations at the time? You didn't check your blood pressure, your heart rate, your respiratory yeah. rate, your neurological status? That wasn't done at the time. And then you no. weren't, when you complained about these symptoms, you weren't referred to a hospital specialist for, for an assessment? No. The GP um, surgery eventually allowed me to be seen by somebody who doesn't ever work at their surgery, um, a young doctor 
um, who I've never seen again. And <laughs> so it seemed, it felt like I was just being passed on to the most junior person or transient person. So they just haven't wanted to know. And I'll give you an example. I was in the GP um, this week, um, banging my head against the brick wall again. And um, I said that... Um, I said that my immunologist had said I should have a booster and um, and I said um, could I have that done here in the surgery and the GP said no no really that's just for um, older people in the community um, you know and I said but so I've got he said you can go to a vaccination hub and I said but I um, I said and this was after a conversation that was really going badly wrong. You know, in other words, I wasn't getting any help. And I said to him, but you can't have it both ways. You're telling me I'm clinically vulnerable and I've got to get a booster. And I'm so vulnerable, which I don't feel. Well, I feel it from my adverse reaction, but otherwise I didn't. Mm. But you won't let me come to my local surgery where it's better goes wrong you can monitor me yeah yeah, rather than me drive myself somewhere Mm. where because you know I I there's um well I'd have to get somebody to drive me or something but you know it's just so it's just upside down thinking I don't understand it at all I mean everything they do every single thing the GP surgery has done when I've booked blood tests I turn up this has happened twice now since the vaccination um, no, no record of the appointment. And so I, I stand there and put my foot. It's very hard to think it's not intentional. I can't quite believe it could be intentional. But um, today I went in again and, um, and, I, and I checked with the nurse and I said, you are checking for immunoglobulin subsets, aren't you? Because I said, we're trying to establish that I'm not clinically vulnerable. And I said, and if they're normal, I don't see how anyone can say I'm clinically vulnerable. And um, and and she said, oh, no, that's not on there. And that was left off last time on the 8th of November. So not long ago, it got forgotten last time. So we rebooked, you know, my insistence to have them done this time. And they were doing a whole, they were doing albumin. What's that for? Uh, albumin is the protein in the blood. Right. It, it, no, it, it's, it's what makes the blood, uh, it's what carries medicine, it's what carries drugs in the blood. And it's also what sucks the the water back in from the tissue fluids right right so it's but the amount of protein they keep they refuse I, I i've i've said time and again after i spoke to you i said please can i see a cardiologist mm-hmm. i have these racing feelings i i wear um a fitness tracker yep. and um i'm kind of used to you know what that would be at and the one thing i've noticed unlike kyle who would be really onto his whereas really i use mine for steps you know just to try and make sure i achieve minimum steps to kind of keep healthy-ish um what i have noticed is if i go upstairs here um it would go really very high you know which i think is very strange in a short space of time given that i used to do 60 flights of stairs in the gym before um you know on the stair machine before um the pandemic and um obviously i haven't done that but what i have done a little bit strangely with the lockdowns and all the rest of it is um i've had a yeah yeah sorry carry on it was just a flick on to that yeah sorry carry on Um, 
No, I had to, I had a goal of 30 flights of stairs a day. So what I'm saying is it's not as though you could say, oh, well, perhaps you're, you're just noticing because you're going upstairs. But it's one of the little fitness things we've done in the home gym, if you sure. like, of the house consistently. And so um, I have noticed swings in my pulse, you know, and... Um, yeah, it goes up to a very high rate, Nick. Uh, does it? Well, I don't. I wouldn't know a high rate from a low rate, unlike yeah. Kyle. You know who knows? Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah, um, yeah. You know you, fitness you, stuff, but, but aware the, of. yeah, for me it seems to go in one flight of stairs, which is about twelve stairs. It'll go up to one hundred and twenty-five. Does that sound a lot? Uh, uh, yeah, where, it's where, much higher than you would expect for your level of fitness. Yeah, actually. whereas in the gym, when I used to do my 60 flights, which was a killer, you know, constant like yeah, this on the yeah. machine, um, I used to stop, That was my heart was super fit, you know, but I used to stop at about 140 um, because I was advised in the gym that that's a good kind of place that you don't, you don't want to overexert yourself. Um so, so you've you've lost your exercise tolerance there. Your heart rate's going up disproportionately to the activity that you're undertaking. Exactly right. In fact, I would say, as a self-preservation um, sort of feeling inside me, yeah. I feel I have no ability to exercise at all. Oh, I, I, I and because I used to run as well, and I I don't feel that it would be safe. Um, when I walk up a hill, I'm clutching at my chest, you know, the pain, and then I stop and I have to go, this is, I just make this up, you know, but I, I'm a great believer in instinct in your body and things, and I just go, <sighs> you know, and that's what I feel I have to do, and I just no, no, that, that, until the pain right. subsides. Um, so so you, get, you get pain when you walk, when you start exercising, you get pain. Where, where do you get the pain, Nick? Um, there. Right, so sort of yeah. the left side of your chest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what and sort of pain is it? Is it like a is it like a gripping pain or is it sharp pain or? That is sort of sharpish, but it's not like these little pinches that I get yeah, yeah, yeah. now. But it's sort of sharpish, but it's it's a frightening pain. It's a pain that makes you stop and think that's not right. That's that's all I can say. It's not, I've never had a heart issue in my life. And it's a frightening pain. You you uh, just know it's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this this merits a cardiological assessment yeah. straight away, doesn't it? John, you I, should see a cardiologist straight away. I a I've never been a hypochondriac. I've never no. imagined life is too busy, and I'm I'm yes. very I'm really really lucky. I've cried a lot since all this happened because sure. of the the torment sure. of medical people not wanting to help. You know, sure. the absolute torment of it and the frustration and, and and the fear that there's something wrong with me and nothing's being done. And I've also felt, so I feel quite ashamed, um, and I'll try not to be emotional. It's fine, it's fine, Nick. <laughs> Sorry. That's no, okay. <laughs> Sorry to put you through this. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I'm just thinking about Kyle. I've also felt, and I feel guilty about this, but... Sorry. 
people that you talk to who at least are getting the tests and the help because I don't know certainly my GP surgery it's it's been an absolute turning their back they do not want to know I've had so many conversations with them now I and mean, when I say so many since February, I'm talking maybe eight, okay? I'm not obsessively phoning them every week. You can't get through, you can't get the... But when I've had those conversations, and I've probably only met face-to-face -face with them four times maximum, and bear in mind, the first time, this junior doctor, she said to me um, uh, that she thought it would be a good idea if I bought crutches, you know, and I did go online then to buy crutches. Because I was four, I couldn't make it. She was right at the end. She's being junior. They'd put her right at the far end of this great long corridor. And it was a really long way to walk. And I was just tipping to the right all the time. And, and um, um, so what I'm saying is they've seen me really bad. Um, and um, I can't remember what I was saying about and it. And the suggestion now. was to get crutches. Yeah, yeah, the suggestion was to get crutches. But... but, but but they won't look and they won't and I go in and I say and I was very much you know you spurred me on I don't mean that as in you're mm. sort of influencing me if you like John I don't mean that but I mean you gave me just when everyone no one else has wanted to know it was such a positive thing that you were even interested and um sorry I mean, to, to me these are red flag symptoms you know if if you know, I, I was a I worked a, after I retired from academia yeah. I was a staff nurse for three years on a part-time on an accident in the emergency department and if a pain said to me I've got left-sided chest pain that comes on when I, when I exercise and I've got pain now I would go and get a consultant straight away yes you know there's, there's, no, there's no question and, and then my consultant would almost certainly get the cardiologist straight away yeah these are red red flag symptoms I just don't understand why they're not meriting no. getting the attention they deserve and, they, they, and these, these need an immediate specialist diagnosis yeah well um the other thing is that something that came on um, latterly, you see, they, they keep, they, they say, oh, but you were fine with the Pfizer, so you can have a booster. But I don't actually, who's qualified to say I was fine? Because what I know, a week later, the chest pains really kicked in more. So, so you, had the Pfizer, you had the Pfizer in June? In June, yes. Did you, did you just clarify it, Nick? Did you actually have any chest pain before you had the Pfizer? Yes, it had the chest pain instantly yeah, you, from the yeah, yeah, you were getting that before, yeah. yeah. it seemed to get worse and after, it, and after it that. And it peaks and troughs from February with the AstraZeneca. Got never it, went right. away, Got but I certainly didn't exercise because I was I was working on just yeah, being able yeah. to walk. My son, yeah, my son, because yeah, yeah. he was off school, we were walking, but um, it never went away. The the GP has said, "Oh, you're fine," and so is the immunologist, without even seeing me. You know, said, "Oh, you're fine to have a booster." But I said, how can you say that? How can you know it's safe for me? And I said to the immunologist, because he's in London, I said, you haven't even seen me for two years, you know? Because prior to the pandemic, they used to insist, which I was, you know, a little bit baffled by, they used to insist they had to take all my bloods, my immunoglobulins, lymphocyte subsets, everything at King's, every six weeks. And I was trekking up and down there every three weeks for, for six or seven years, okay? pandemic came suddenly no it's not important we don't need to see which has been many people's experience more or less hasn't it if you've got something a sort of ongoing something that they think needs to be monitored and then all the hospitals closed down 
but I've actually been fine and I haven't had any intervention, you know, medically or anything and I've been okay and I believe I've had COVID at least once right at the beginning or maybe twice and I also had the toes, John, mm. because I phoned up my GP in March 2020 and said, I don't know why, right, but my yeah, toes yeah. gone, yeah, so, so you know, I really think, and I'd had it prior to that, so I think that's why I only had the toes and the headache. But we didn't know about that then; it was it was just an odd thing. But anyway, um, sorry, going going back to um, the so th this is eleven booster. months before your first vaccine, isn't it? You feel you had the you had the infection eleven months before. Yeah, and and then and then um, yeah, eleven months before, yeah, and yeah. and also even before they even really say it was in this country because I was hospitalised with um, not being able to breathe, you know, with low oxygen and it was a really strange illness and a lot of people around were strangely unwell, which looking back it looks... And then no, I had the long... I mean, I mean Mar March from my memory was quite a feasible time to have, to have had it. Oh, no, no, no. Prior to March, it was... Um, Prior to March. It was, it was um, September, but I looked on, on a proper... Oh, right, 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 a legit right. website, and there was a SARS... There was an unknown SARS-COVID thing in Ashford mm. in Kent, which mm. is, at the time, you know, where we were sort yeah. of having yeah. a lot to do with yeah, that. I mean, the, the full history yeah. of this is not written, Nick, that's for sure. It's There's not. A lot, it's a lot we, we don't know, certainly. Yeah. Have, you ever, have you ever had blood tests to determine whether you actually did have COVID? Have you ever had the antibody tests? Um, no, but when the first GP gave me my, my AstraZeneca vaccination, he said to me, don't know why I'm doing this because you probably won't um, make any antibodies anyway, meaning because of my low immunity, because I, I generally have a suboptimal response to vaccines. Mm. However, the, uh, the thinking was that you might as well, it's safe and you might as well go for it anyway because you might make a few. So I was perfectly happy on that basis. Um, in, I paid for um, an antibody test in um, it's the end of March. So um, it was halfway through February when I had my vaccination. So it was a good time period for me to have made antibodies. Yeah. Yeah. And I had made some antibodies yeah, to yeah, the yeah. AstraZeneca. To the vaccine, I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm presuming it was to the vaccine. Yeah, it would be. That test, that, that, that test would be antibodies to the vaccine. I'm well, no, sure. they said that it was in a clinic um, and they did say, I can tell you the clinic. Mm -hmm. I know it Please probably do. means something to you. Um, but it was a proper one where they drew blood. Yeah. Um, but they did say the specific tests I had, although it cost a lot of money, it didn't it couldn't actually tell you whether the antibodies were from um here oh, you are it was a right. it was this method yeah even i had heard so um roche e-c-l-i-a right so, so but they, they said they That's, said they said it wouldn't differentiate between antibodies yeah, from the virus would, and antibodies no. from the vaccine most likely though given that i think i had covid late 2019 and then march april 2020 right. yeah. i don't think my antibody because they say do they still say that you don't keep your covid antibodies for long yeah the, the antibody test may not have shown after about six months or so yeah but, but the point is that, that these reactions could be caused by all your memory cells which are the B and T cells. The, the, B, the B and T memory yeah. cells, yeah. Which I choose to believe mine are good of those mm. because nobody's ever told me they're not. I might not I might not make excellent antibodies, although I did make a few to this, but in general I may not make the mo you know, have the biggest antibody response. But mm. um 
there's nobody who's ever said, no immunologist has said to me, your B and T cells aren't functioning mm -hmm. correctly. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think you're to, right. I, I think yeah. I have got natural protection. Yeah, yeah. Going back to when you had first had this, this first AstraZeneca and you got this taste in your mouth. You know, yeah. Um, do we know if the GP aspirated the, the, uh, the needle or not? We absolutely didn't. And I think the problem with GPs doing it is that generally they don't dole out the injections. No, but very often they don't. I think exactly. there was a financial incentive at the time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and he, just, he just literally put it in, done, you know, um, very quickly. Um, wouldn't even, I don't think, given that I've got a fairly sort of narrow, I want to say flabby, but that's a little bit unkind, but yeah. I don't have, I don't have a firm deltoid muscle there because I hadn't been doing my usual swimming because of mm. however long a year of lockdown. So the leisure center had been closed down where I used to swim all the time. Mm. Um, so my muscle tone had gone in my upper body and the stairs wouldn't help that, would they? So no, uh, really. no, 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 and no. I hadn't done anything with weights or anything. So I'm just saying, I think he would have struggled to find a, um, you know, he may he may easily have missed them. The muscle bulk. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. You see, if you if you get a reaction straight away like that, to me, it can only be one of two things. It, it can be that it's gone through it, uh, it's gone into a vein, it's gone mm -hmm. to your heart in seconds, or it can be an allergic reaction that can be that quickly. Yeah. So they were worried about your airway. That's probably why they were worried about your airway. But that was okay. You didn't swell up. You, your breathing was fine. Yes. Did, did you get any itching at the time? Do you remember? No. Right. I'm so, not so, an allergic type yeah, person. Yeah. So you're um, an allergic, you'd normally get itching. Yeah. Every day I, I had the mildest um, inflammatory, well, allergic type reaction, which was um, every afternoon for about the first couple of weeks, my lips would start to sort of just swell a little bit and feel a bit tingly and then that would go down and that was in I just saw that in my diary today you know but this was um, in the days after it wasn't at the time yeah no 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 in the days after for about a couple of weeks um that but I certainly didn't have a, a big allergic reaction and I would say John I can only speak for my local surgery or or actually also the hub where I went for my second for my Pfizer it seemed very much that all they're looking for in terms of adverse yeah. events yeah. is is are those type of yeah. allergic reactions. Yeah. Yeah. And right. so my immunologist drove me to distraction the last time I had a um, telephone um, appointment with him when he said I could have the booster, and I said, uh, and he said nothing you say gives me any because re I talked to him about exemptions you know and he said nothing you say gives me any reason to say that you should have an exemption because you're not allergic so so th th this was a consultant and he was only thinking in terms of allergies nothing else. yeah yeah so this it's just so disappointing isn't it it's just so hard to explain um, I mean I, I think we conclude that that metal taste was because it, it inadvertently went into a blood vessel at that Yes. That, that, that is a big variable that's caused these, these problems. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I really I, wish people had started listening to this. And, you know, I, I have the same frustration. I mean, I, I've written to my MP. He wrote to Nadim Sahawi. I got a letter back from Nadim Sahawi with the vaccine yeah. minister saying, don't worry about it, John. It all works to that effect, you know. But, I um, love, it's like a, John, it's like a moment of um, comedy gold 
your video when you throw it over your shoulder, the left of it. But it's really well, funny. It's really that, 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 that's all the use it was, Nick, I'm afraid. It, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. It, and, um, Tell us how you're feeling. Tell us how you're feeling now. I feel unsafe. I feel um, hounded by got to have a booster, got to have another, got to have another. And I don't feel that it's... I, I think, um, because the other thing that we've, we haven't mentioned, because I think it's unfortunate I've had so many symptoms, but I think there were two things going on, because I also had, um, prior to any talk of blood clots or anything like that, um, a sort of searing pain down my the side of my nose and above my eye. This was and after the AstraZeneca, Nick, was it? After the AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. And um, I've never had a, any kind of headache like that. And it's written down, thankfully, the locum at King's, the, my immunologist who I've seen for 10 years, who is an honorary, you know, high up lecturer in immunology, bags of experience. Um, the minute he heard that it was an adverse reaction to a vaccine, he and the team passed me on to this um, student who um, who then rang me up. Very, very nice young woman, but no experience whatsoever in immunology, you know. But she, what she did for me, which I think is an important thing, is she at least wrote down all my symptoms yeah. that I was relaying yeah. over the phone. Yeah. And when you read them now, it's quite chilling because it's... Um, it's, um, I'll, I'll see if I can just um, see it here, but she says that, um, and, and bear in mind, okay, I didn't, I'm not imagining this because I'd heard about these, um, what are they called, cerebral venous, um, the nasal. Cerebral sinus venous thrombosis. Yeah, sinus, that's it. I have never had a, I don't really get sinusitis, certainly not like that, you know, maybe the sort of dull headache up there with a really stuffed up cold type thing but I've never had a pain like this in the side of my nose and above my eye and um, so she wrote this list of um, symptoms from King's immunology but this locum I won't immunology registrar hmm. yeah I don't well, know registrars happened. are quite senior they should be uh, you know registrars are not junior doctors she told me she was new um, yeah. so um, and she, she didn't uh, but but well even so, I've been there 10 years. I've, I've never, you know, I sort of know the main ones. Sure, and, yeah, and yeah, she, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, she, um, well, I'll read what she said. She, she mm. said, um, so I, and this was with me pushing and pushing and pushing. And this is dated 26th of February. So just mm. under two weeks after my vaccination. Yep, 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 yep. And she, um, to my GP surgery. I'm writing to kindly ask you to evaluate this patient who reported multiple symptoms, which started immediately after having the COVID AstraZeneca. Um, they are profound and getting worse. That, um, the symptoms are struggling to control her arms, hands, legs, distinct taste in her mouth, which comes and goes. Now that was different. That wasn't the chemical taste still after the two weeks. That was a kind of sweet taste that I had developed, which sometimes I still get. It comes back again, you know, less and less. Mm. Have you heard anyone saying? No, I haven't. Not an ongoing sweet no. taste. No, no, I haven't. No, um, uh, uh, not an unpleasant taste, you know, but... Mm. Um, but not, not normal, I, I... 
No, I've never had that. But I, but if you think COVID does affect people's taste and smell, doesn't it? So maybe so. something in the mix that, again, because it seemed to bring out these symptoms um, of COVID. Anyway, um, difficulty. To, oh, that was, yeah, good. You see, I haven't read this because, as I say, I don't dwell. Mm. I've forgotten this. Difficulty to swallow. That was so frightening. Not because it was swollen, but just because I, I'd lost a lot of control of my muscles. Um, and she's put, although the patient is able to drink fluids, eat food without choking, coughing. Well, you only have to choke and cough once, don't you? Absolutely. Especially when you're on your own with no husband, you know, and just the child Absolutely. in the house. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's a silly thing to say because she said to me, well, have you choked or coughed? And I said, no, but I'm very frightened. So you were, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I said I go to swallow and the Adam's apple sort of thing won't, you know, it moves down, doesn't it? But it won't do that. And it sounds like a loss of neurological um, control, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but lots of um, uh, sharp pain in the left side anterior chest. Don't know what anterior means. A anterior means front as opposed to posterior. Okay. Which yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, dry, sore eyes, decreased control of whole body, more pronounced on the right side. Impaired balance, the patient reported that she was about to fall down the stairs. I actually did fall down a couple of stairs, but I, there was one time where I just completely sort of lost my bearings at the top. And I've lived here 10 years. Yeah, I wasn't moving fast either, but I did nearly. I just saved myself from falling down the whole flight of stairs. Um, <coughs> head, Headache, complaint of clumsiness, bumps. Yeah, I kept bumping into furniture. I've forgotten all this, John. You see, mm. so my motor skills have improved with work, just with keep, keep trying. Yeah. Um, feel like I'm being pushed over all the time. Urine is darker. No, she needs to drink plenty of fluids. Um, reported loss of power in hands. Could not write a letter. I tried to write a letter to my aunt because she doesn't do anything technical, you know. Um, and she'd she'd sent me a get well card, so I tried to write her a little note back, and I found that I couldn't hold the pen properly. Um, hand felt exhausted up to her shoulder with messy handwriting. Feels fatigued and exhausted. Does not think she's able to have a stable walk, not able to walk normally. And bear in mind, they, I was saying to Immunology, who've had me in their care when I've not been as ill as, mm. as at this point, wanted to see me all the time. They didn't want to see me and you know it's just it just seems balmy but pins and needles in the legs and arms and cramping pains in the legs and that was strange because when you're swimming a lot which I've always loved swimming sometimes you get cramps in your calves mm. but this was a new cramp to me of cramping in my thighs I've never had that in my life and jumping of my muscles in my thighs particularly on the right-hand side, that was a horrible cramp and it kept happening and bouncing, jumping muscles in my body for no reason, you know, but particularly... Did your um, muscles feel like they were kind of flickering on and off sometimes? Um, yes, they well, when I would lie down at night, um, I was listening to um, someone else, actually. Do you know Dr. Mobeen? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched a number of his videos. Sorry, John. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, but he and he interviewed someone actually who had the tinnitus, yeah, which yeah, yeah, I yeah. would say to you I didn't have. Yeah, However, yeah. what I had was just this 
again, it's like a bit, lit it's probably not very helpful to a clinician like yourself to say this, but when I would lie down in a quiet room at night, um, my whole body felt like it was going, you know, just the whole length of my body, my arms, my everything buzzing, everything. And oh, that just breaks my heart, especially her pain above her eyes and in her face. I've experienced that, not from the COVID vaccine, but from another one. And it's really scary. It's like having a knife stuck in your eye. It's horrible. Oh my God. I'm I'm so sorry these people are suffering like this. We're almost out of time. Thank you for listening. <clears throat>